It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. had something happen that was a little bit uh, unsettling here in the studio. That's why I was a few seconds uh, late opening the microphone. Sorry about that, Colonel. Uh, I laugh. It's probably not a good thing, but we have cameras, as you know, in our uh, studio for uh, Twitch to show us on video. And one of them, I guess, just decided... I'm not up for Light the Tower this morning. I just tumbled over and fell down. Cameron Parker and I looked at each other. Ooh, wonder if it's going to be one of those kind of days. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Um, Jeff Howe will be along. He is, uh, went to uh, the uh, media availability after the... Uh, media window uh, to watch Longhorn football practice this morning. So uh, he was there for that. And the availability with Sark is probably going on right about now. So Jeff will be along after that. We've got uh, other things to get to. In fact, we're going to have to make this phone call pretty quickly here to uh, get in touch with our first guest. And uh, uh, pretty excited to have him uh, join us. And that's Jerry Palm, the bracketologist for CBS Sports. And uh, he's one of the, you know, alongside, you might say, uh, you know, Joe, Lamar- Joe Lenardi, of course, uh, one of the uh, real respected bracketologists, guys who understand the science of it and uh, can break it down. And uh, he, um, he, like so many others, uh, and he's uh, uh, he's one of those guys who really likes the Big 12 and likes uh, the University of Texas as well. So um, anyway, Jerry Palm's going to join us here in a few minutes. Also, uh, our Longhorn Notebook around the bottom of the hour, we'll hear from David Pierce, Longhorn baseball head coach. Texas bounced back with a win last night. They defeated Sam Houston State 7-5. to I had a four-run six. That was the big difference in the ballgame because they were down 4-2. to uh, But they did uh, bounce back to get the win. Uh, last night. So, um, you know, that's one of the uh, nice things uh, about starting a 14-game homestand is that you have the uh, opportunity to uh, make a little hay 
and uh, try to get things going on a little bit. But uh, we'll get we'll get to all of that in, in a few minutes. Uh, but what we do want to do is get to the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina hotline and be uh, joined by a gentleman uh, we've been fortunate enough to have him on our program before and whose uh, work is uh, greatly admired and respected. That's Jerry Palmy, uh, Jerry Palm, who handles, uh, you know, not only the uh, what I was talking about in terms of the bracketological prognostications, but also what's going on with college football playoff and prior to that BCS. And he joins us now. Jerry, I appreciate the time. Uh, how are you this morning as we are, what, uh, heading headlong into the meat and potatoes of championship week? Yeah, um, I'm great. How are you guys? Great. Great to have you with us. And uh, I know that uh, this is a, a thing. I, I thought you had a really interesting article, uh, uh, you know, that came out yesterday about these conference tournaments. And uh, most folks seem to uh, think about conference tournaments uh, either in, in one of two contexts, I guess. The, the one-bid leagues, uh, the, you know, the mid-majors, can they get in? And then a chance for uh, some of the, the teams in the, uh, in the Power Six leagues to kind of polish the apple a little bit for the teacher and say, this is what we've, we've got. And I thought it was interesting what you wrote about uh, how uh, this is the last chance for some of these. What really stands out to you? Is it, a, is it a big difference with what you've seen in some recent years with regard to those Power Six schools who are uh, at or below the middle of their conference standings trying to impress the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. Has the dynamic changed any with that, or is it still pretty much uh, status quo? Well, I mean, certainly for the teams that are near the cut line of the NCAA Tournament, you know, in or out, um, that doesn't really change uh, year to year. Um, you You might see variance in some of the quality of some of the teams, but, you know, in general, you know, those are teams that have had hit and miss seasons. And that's why they are where they are. I think the thing that's different uh, this year is that not any of the number one seeds are definitely going to be number one seeds yeah. uh, come selection Sunday. Uh, I would think with the possible exception of Kansas, I, I don't know how Kansas could not be a number one seed with the kind of year that they had, uh, not just in the league, uh, which, you know, where they're picking up quad one wins every time they take the floor almost, but also, you know, with their usual good non-conference schedule and performance as well. Uh, I would think that Kansas has got to be a number one seed, and I, I think they should be the overall number one, but we'll see what the committee thinks. But, you know, Alabama, Houston, Purdue have work to do. You've got teams like UCLA, maybe Texas, chasing the top of the bracket. Um, so, you know, the, the uncertainty at the top is different. Uh, because most of the time you can pick out like a couple of teams that you that have dominated college basketball over the course of the season. You just know those teams are not just going to be number one seeds. Or they're going to be the top two or three in the bracket, and you can pencil them into at least the Sweet 16 or maybe further because that they're so much better that they aren't going to see a team that can actually beat them until they get at least that far in the tournament. You, you kind of addressed one question I was going to have for you, Jerry. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving today to go up to broadcast the Texas games, obviously, in the tournament. But I want to start with Kansas. Uh, how close are they? Are they in position A to be, in your mind, the number one overall seed? Do they have to do some work to retain that one seed if that's a situation? And who do you feel is in the best position to unseat them if Kansas is unable to fulfill it and, and wind up as the number one overall seed? Well, you know, you have to keep in mind that this is a subjective process. 
that's guided by all of this objective data. I mean, Kansas is sitting there right now today with 15 quadrant one wins. And and they're not just conference games. You know, I mean, the conference has given them a lot of opportunities. But Kentucky, Duke, you know, those are quad one wins. Indiana is a quad one win. You know, so, you know, they played a good non-conference schedule, too, and took advantage of it. The The team with the most quad one wins outside of the of the Big 12, uh, you've got Purdue with nine and Alabama with nine. You know, so Kansas is sitting there at 15, and if they pick up more, you know, they could end up with 18 quad one wins at the end of this season. That's just tremendous. Um, they're, uh, I, I don't know that what Kansas has to do to, to stay on the top line of the bracket other than just keep winning. If Kansas wins this conference tournament, I can't see any way you deny them the overall number one seed. But their challengers are primarily um, Houston – Alabama and Purdue, but I don't see really, I mean, Houston is a total subjective thing. They're the number one team in all of the metrics. And if the committee likes that, or just looks at that team and thinks they're very good and should be the number one team, then that, that would be it. But it would, it would be a subjective evaluation. There's no way Houston can match up resumes with any of these teams actually. Yeah. Uh, and and that the follow-up I was going to ask about Houston, I've, I've noticed the numbers that you put in there. Their strength of schedule is 48 as opposed to Kansas being one, Alabama two, even Purdue 31, and their non-conference strength of schedule is 78 as well. So if we were to follow along the subjective line that you're talking about and Kansas, say, uh, winds up you know, going up, uh, belly up for whatever reason in the first round or the quarterfinal round of the Big 12 tournament, is there a path for Houston to be the number one seed or would that be more in the hands of Alabama and Purdue? Well, no, I mean, you know, the committee liked Houston. They they liked them on February 18th when they released their top 16. They may still like, they haven't lost since. You know, if they win their conference tournament, they'll be, you know, one of those teams that they're talking about. Uh, Alabama and Purdue also, you know, winning in their conference tournaments would have a case too. So it, it's that's and that's the thing that makes this year so different is that it's not clear. Not even the overall number one is clear at this point, and that's what makes this um, this tournament week, you know, much more interesting than in other years because you know there's five or six teams that have a chance to play their way onto that line still, and the number one overall seed is. Yeah, uh, which is, uh, and we're visiting with Jerry Palm, obviously, from CBS to talk about uh, uh, the uh, NCAA bracket and the bracketology now, uh, which brings me to Texas. I know a lot of Longhorn fans listening here are curious to your thoughts. You have them as uh, uh, the number two, I guess, uh, uh, overall number two seed behind, ironically, Marquette, coached by former Longhorn head coach Shaka Smart. And then you have Gonzaga, who Texas beat this year, and UCLA on the two line as well. What's your, what's your overall take on the Longhorns, and uh, do they do they need to win a game in Kansas City to hold the two seed there, or uh, do they do they have a, a at least a slight path to get to a one if they run the table and say beat Kansas in the final? What's your thoughts on the Longhorns? Yeah, I mean that would be the the best case scenario is to run the table and, and beat Kansas. And then they'd have a shot at a one and it might depend on what other teams do. I mean, they're already sitting there with eight losses, which is kind of a big number for what these other teams have, have been doing. But, um, you know, they, they've piled up a, a fair number of, of high quality wins and you're talking about three more. So, 
Um, there's certainly a chance for Texas. Uh, there'd be something of a case for them, but I guess it's going to really depend on what happens in these other conference tournaments. That they would need a little bit of help to get to the top line of the bracket. Are you uh, more fascinated every year with the bubble than the top part of it, or what? What uh, what really intrigues you most as yeah. you as you compile it every? Year? Is it the bubble? Yeah, it is because um, you're talking about a lot of teams that are. You know, relatively equal, but in different ways. And the top of the bracket's not usually this congested. You know, the top of the bracket's usually a little more clear. So there's a lot more focus on the bottom. Also, you know, at the bottom of the bracket, you know, you have to be on one side of the cut line just to get to play, right? So, you know, you can play your way out of a bad feed, but you can't play your way out of not getting selected. So um, the, the cut line is always going to, you know, get a lot of attention. But the thing that's different about this year is just the lack of clarity at the top. Uh, you you have Iowa State listed uh, as as a bubble team. Uh, are, are are the Cyclones? They're not really though. Yeah, I was going to ask really. you: Are they in danger if they if they lose to TCU in the in the quarterfinals? No, I don't think so. I mean, they you know they had a, a really bad streak there, but they rallied uh, late, and I I don't think Iowa State's going to miss the tournament. But you know, it's funny they they kicked their third leading scorer off the team, and then all of a sudden things got better. So. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what they do, but I don't think Iowa State's going to miss the tournament entirely. Another team I want to get your thoughts on is Tennessee. Again, another former uh, Texas coach, Rick Barnes, guiding them, and they were rolling at one point. I remember uh, they uh, you had them. Uh, this is on back several weeks ago. Had them in as a one seed. The way things were going, but now they have fallen off lately. They've struggled. You've got them uh, on the four line along with Virginia, Indiana, and Xavier. There. Uh, how about your thoughts on on what Tennessee might need to do in Nashville at the SEC tournament? this week well i mean it you know obviously what you can't really talk about seeding in a vacuum because it's not just about you it's what the teams around you are doing as well you might think you've done enough to to get to some place and someone else has done better um so you know the best that they can do is just go out and win but you know they're trying to show the committee that they can be um just as good as they had been without their point guard uh the kai ziegler is out now for the season and that's a big blow to them um, we'll have to see how they perform here in the conference tournament, but that could actually impact their seed if it doesn't look like to the committee that they're quite as good without it. Final thing I want to ask you, Jerry, let me let me give you three teams, and you tell me which one you think has to do the most work to land in the tournament field. One is a Big 12 school, Oklahoma State. The other are North Carolina and Michigan. How about your thoughts on, on those three? Which of the three really has to do the most work to be able to land in the field? I think Oklahoma State is the toughest path because of who they would have to play. Uh, they're sitting there at 17 and 14, but what, say, the difference between them and West Virginia, other than West Virginia has another win, is that West Virginia only has one loss outside of quad one. That's the quad two loss. Uh, home Texas Tech, I think, the team they're playing today. And then, um, but Oklahoma State's got, you know, three losses outside of quad one, and they've got a bad loss to Southern Illinois. And, you know, they're only 17 and 14 to begin with, so they may have to win twice. And that's that might be asking too much of this team uh, to get in the NCAA tournament. But uh, they, uh, they're they the one with the toughest path because of the, the games that they have to play to get there. Yeah. I, they, they play Oklahoma, which probably doesn't help them much, but if they win Oklahoma State, then then they'd play Texas. So I, I guess a win, two wins in Kansas City might, might do it for them, would you think? Uh, maybe. I mean, you know, like, like I said, the thing, the thing about the bubble is you do something that you think is enough and then Cincinnati wins the American conference tournament and steals your bid. Yeah. So, you know, the, the only, 
the only sure thing is the sure thing. Go out and win it. <laughs> no doubt. He's Jerry Palm, the bracketologist for CBSSports.com. Does an outstanding job of that. J.P. Palm CBS is where you follow him on Twitter, at J.P. Palm CBS. Jerry, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. I appreciate you taking the time and, and, and enjoy the month and enjoy the tournament. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. All right. That's Jerry Palm, CBS Sports. Uh, always enjoy his work. And, uh, and that includes in uh, football a- as well. Uh, when he's uh, analyzing uh, the potentials for college football playoff and even prior to that in the BCS era, uh, those kinds of things. So it's always always good to visit uh, with Jerry to talk about it and uh, get, to, like I say, the bracketological prognostications. Our producer, Cameron Parker, are you, uh, I mean, I know you're excited about March. Uh, who isn't, right, uh, at this time of year in the NCAA tournament? Are you a big fill out tons of brackets guy do you do the online stuff the app stuff where, where, where do you stand with uh with bracket mania when you get to uh the month of march i used to be the guy that had like eight different brackets Did under the really? tournament challenge app now i just do like one or two because it's you know it's kind of cheating i, I like it, if i'm going to be right i want to be right from the one or two brackets i filled out not my not my 17th bracket where yeah that's right i had kentucky this one guys that's right i predicted it our uh, our good friend D Hansen, who's the play by play voice of the Bowie Bulldogs, uh, who's also uh, quite a bit of a college basketball savant, uh, used to do. I remember when we were over at the other place. He did, I think, four brackets. One of them was was called like, uh, and, and D, if you're listening, and I get this wrong, I apologize. But he had one that was like called the brain bracket, where it was just like all the logic stuff went in. Then he had one called the gut bracket. That he just went with that. And then I think he had one that was called the heart bracket, the teams he wanted to win. So he had all those different things. And people do it different ways, obviously, when you get to that. And, and we'll clearly have a lot to discuss next week uh, once the bracket comes out on Sunday, which, by the way, uh, you know, uh, reminds me to remind you, we've got a, a NCAA tournament selection special coming your way uh, Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock. That's, of course, when the field of 68 will be announced. For the men, the women's field will be announced that evening, Sunday night, uh, or late uh, Sunday afternoon, early Sunday evening. Maybe it might be 6 o'clock uh, when they start. Because I remember last year flying back from Kansas City with, a big, with uh, the Texas women's team after they won the Big 12 Conference Tournament, uh, they had had it set up with a unique setup to have Texas on live via Zoom mid-flight while the plane was in the air. And uh, there were those of us, we just kind of sat still in our seats, and you had Vic Schaefer and the, and the team kind of gathered toward the back of the plane. They had to make sure the weight and balance was okay at the time they were doing that, and they had a couple of laptops go up. Their their uh, digital staff did a great job, their video staff, of, of making sure they could pull this off, where they had one laptop where they were seeing the host and one that was coming back through, and they could see the field and all this. And um, it was fun. And uh, if they uh, win it again, if they successfully defend their Big 12 tournament title, to go along with their Big 12 Conference regular season title. That may happen again on Sunday. They may uh, wind up doing the uh, checking in with ESPN on the bracket while in mid-flight coming back. Uh, it, it, it takes a few hoops to jump through, but it's but it's kind of entertaining to do that. Right now, they're a four seed being projected, Craig. Do you think that would change at all if they can win back-to-back conference tournaments? It could, uh, and kind of to, to borrow off what Jerry was saying, I think it depends on the ones around them because that seed line, and, and for folks who uh, may have forgotten, 
that's whether you're one seed, a two seed, a three seed, a four seed. It's important. It's important on both the men's side and the women's side. I would submit to you that being one of those top 16 teams, a top four seed, is even more important on the women's side than the men's side because if you're in that top 16, one of the top four seeds, you get to host first round, second round. You play at home on your home floor in the first and second round. So you don't want to be any lower than a four seed. And in the first early reveal that they did, Texas was like the lowest number three seed. And then after their loss to Iowa State, they went to the highest number four seed. And since then, they had a huge win at Oklahoma, but lost at home to Baylor, then wrapped up the Big 12 Conference a regular season title, at least a share of it, and the one seed. So I'd, I'd, I would think they're safely secure as a four seed right now. Could they bump to a three? I think so. Uh, if, uh, you know, finishing, if they finish with a flourish uh, and, and – um, the Big 12 Conference on the women's side is really good. It's not quite as heavily loaded as it is on the men's side, but there are plenty of uh, good teams uh, in the on the women's side of the Big 12. So uh, a win over Kansas State or Texas Tech would not help them really uh, on, on Friday afternoon. But a Saturday semifinal win over, uh, say, uh, I'm trying to remember who the four seed uh, – the four and the five, Oklahoma State. If they were to, say, beat Oklahoma State, that helps. And then if you're playing, say, a Baylor or Iowa State in the championship Sunday and you win that, that helps. All of that helps, I think. Uh, but they're probably locked in as a four. And, and a win on Friday afternoon, I think, absolutely locks it in to where even if they lost in the semifinals, I don't think it would be affected. And, and even if they were to lose Friday, I'm not sure they fall out of the four. Uh, but it would definitely, I think, lock them in as a four seed if they handle their business on Friday. And what that would mean is they would be at home at Moody Center. Moody Center would get to host NCAA tournament games for the first time ever in their in their first year. So that's important. On the men's side, uh, I think the Longhorns probably are, are – it's kind of like what Jerry was saying – in some solid shape as the two. In fact, he has Texas as his uh, number two, number two seed – uh, he has uh, the Longhorns as his as his uh, number two overall, number two seed, and uh, he has uh, Texas as the number two seed in the Midwest. Has a matching up with the Big Sky Conference champion Montana State uh, in the uh, in the first round, and then to face a winner of a seven ten matchup between Creighton, whom they've already beaten, and USC. Uh, so they uh, that would be, and he's got him in Denver. Uh, and slotted to go in the Midwest, which would be in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight if they were to advance to uh, the Sweet 16 on the second week, and they'd be in Kansas City where they are um, today, where they have a, a practice on the floor today at the T-Mobile Center. He has Kansas as a one seed in the East playing in Des Moines. Uh, and then um, so it, it'll be interesting. If, if, if Kansas winds up as the number one overall seed, I think there's – every reason to believe that they'll be in Des Moines first and second round and then probably would be slotted in to the Midwest to play uh, in Kansas City, not far from home. So, you know, whether Texas would wind up as the two seed there on the opposite side of the bracket, we'll see. And, and you think, oh, they wouldn't put Texas and Kansas in the same region with a meeting in the Elite, the elite Eight. What the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee is going to encounter this year is – 
if you're in that net ranking, uh, there there is the possibility of more teams being higher ranked in the net ranking to the point where they could have Big 12 teams meeting each other in the Sweet 16. You could have that. So I don't think Texas and Kansas would be on that kind of course, but they might be to where they were in the same region and could wind up meeting in the Elite Eight all the way back in the 0102 season, my first year in the play-by-play chair for Texas. Um, it was the first of the three straight trips to the Sweet 16 for Rick Barnes, and of course they went to the Final Four in 03. But that first Sweet 16 trip in 2001-2002, they went to Madison, Wisconsin, and they played Oregon, who was the two seed. I think Texas was the three seed. They had started off in Dallas at the American Airlines Center, and uh, they were actually the number six seed. I was sitting there thinking because they beat the three seed Mississippi State in the second round, beat Boston College the 11 seed in the first round, beat Mississippi State the three seed in the second round, then went to the Sweet 16, played the two seed Oregon, and uh, and and lost on uh, a late shot. Uh, I think it was Frederick Jones hit a late shot. They lost seventy four seventy two, and then and then Oregon played Kansas. If Texas had won that game, they would have played Kansas in the Elite Eight. So it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that they could be in that same region. They could wind up in the same region with Houston. That's uh, that could happen uh, there. So, and as uh, Jerry just pointed out, he said it's not out of the realm of possibility that Houston could wind up, you know, being the number one overall seed. Um, so, and, uh, good point, uh, by Stoner. He said, don't be surprised that the big sky men's rep is Northern Arizona and not Montana state. It's a great game coming tonight for the championship. These are projections he's uh, based it on. Uh, but, but, you know, some of those earlier projections, uh, would have included perhaps, um, someone other than Northern Kentucky winning the horizon league. Congratulations to former, Longhorn assistant coach Darren Horn, the head coach of the Norse. Uh, uh, they, they won the Horizon League last night. They were the four seed. They had gotten the win over Youngstown State, the one seed in the tournament semifinals, and then last night defeated the number three seed, Cleveland State, to win the Horizon League championship. So uh, Northern Kentucky's there. In fact, in addition to Shaka Smart having a really good team that's in the tournament, uh, and and according to Jerry Palm, the highest number two rated seat, the uh, Big East champion, two of his assistants are coaching teams in the NCAA tournament. Darren Horn in Northern Kentucky and Mike Morrell is the coach at UNC Asheville. And so both of those teams have have advanced as well. All right, coming up, we'll have our Longhorn notebooks and basketball notes. We'll also hear from Longhorns head coach David Pierce following the Texas win last night over Sam Houston. We'll have more on this conversation. Oh, uh, and one other thing. Someone had uh, uh, checked in on the uh, Specs text line that said, why do you address the colonel often on your intros? Is he an ARN owner or just an interested listener friend? Just curious. No, the colonel is Colonel Craig Flowers, the host of the High Ground uh, here on Saturday mornings on the Horn, and the colonel holds the plank position while – the opening music with Eminence Front goes on. And when I open my mic to speak, then he can lower from the plank position. So if I go longer than where I normally, on the second eight bar to open it, then uh, then I apologize to him for that because I'm making him hold that position longer than he needs to there. So that's, that's the explanation 
uh, on that. And, uh, and uh, you know, he's a good dude, so I'd, I'd hate to make him wait too long. All right, we're going to get to more of your questions on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. That's 512-337-3776. Uh, we'll have our Longhorn Notebook coming up next. Jeff Howe will be in uh, next hour following the Sark. Availability has been going on. Jeff will pop in, uh, give us the in the second hour notebook the practice uh, recap. So he'll have that for us. And uh, we'll have some uh, conversation about that as well. This is Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. It's now warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine. She goes, she's always gone too long. Anytime she goes away. You know, lately I've heard a lot of um, covers of some big hits. And of course, this was a huge hit back in 1971 by Bill Withers. Ain't No Sunshine. Who is uh, covering it on this one here? It's a good version, by the way. It's very similar. Maybe just a little more melodic, but. Excellent vocals. Artist is by the name of C-A-J. Okay. So I don't know if you pronounce that. Cage, Cage, or, or, or just, just C-A-J. C-A-J. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a good version of it. Yeah. It, it, I counted the I knows, like he's doing here. Uh, this is a little bit different. Uh, the Bill Weathers edition has 26 I knows. He's just going, I know, 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 I know. There's 26 of those in there on the uh, on the uh, Bill Withers edition. But that's a good one right there. Definitely a good cover of Ignorance Sunshine. Uh, it is time now for our Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. And Jeff will be back in the second hour with a uh, Longhorn Notebook based on football practice this morning. We'll... Uh, carry on on a regular Longhorn Notebook. In this case, Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. Check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com. That's B-O-W-E-R-S-O-C-K, just like it sounds. Bowersockteam.com. See if Aaron can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that's to help us get that home loan approval turned around in a snap. She is, after all, the person who can make that 10-day Home loan approval guarantee a reality. Check her out at bowersockteam.com. Longhorn baseball team, uh, first of all, uh, Longhorn men's basketball team left this morning, excuse me, left yesterday, uh, got up to Kansas City uh, yesterday afternoon and uh, had a workout last night. And uh, then uh, after their their, uh, workout last night, uh, they have a practice today. They also have uh, each team that's participating in the Big 12 tournament gets 40 minutes on the floor, and uh, the you know the day before they're playing or whatever. So there's a 40 minute uh, shoot around on the floor there for that. But they have another practice. In fact, they're going to the other practice I think right now at a nearby community college as they continue their preparations. And the coaching staff will be inside T-Mobile. Uh, center tonight scouting the seven versus ten matchup between uh, Oklahoma State and uh, and OU and a little bedlam matchup there. Not that they don't know both teams very well, but certainly want to see. You know, when the Longhorns played um, Oklahoma State, 
they didn't see much of Musa Cisse, and he wound up being uh, uh, all Big 12, I think, uh, second team. Cisse did not play in the first game. He did play in the second game, but didn't play an awful lot. He's had a back issue. Um, so, and you heard Jerry Palm talking about it's an important, really important game for Oklahoma State for their NCAA tournament hopes to uh, win this Bedlam matchup with Oklahoma tonight. So, the, you know, coaching staff will scout that one and they'll get ready for the game plan tomorrow. Then they'll have a shoot around on the floor. Texas women leave today uh, for Kansas City. I leave today for Kansas City as well. They'll get up there and have a practice evening, and then they'll get uh, some time on the floor tomorrow and a practice tomorrow and then get ready for their first game, which is Friday at 1.30, and Texas will play the winner of the 8-9 matchup between Kansas State and Texas Tech. And, of course, you'll hear that on 105.3 The Bat. Back to the men's. Uh, very good announcement this morning. Rodney Terry named Sporting News Men's College Basketball National Coach of the Year. The first coach in Texas basketball program history to earn the Sporting News National Coach of the Year. It's presented to the best men's college basketball head coach in NCAA Division I competition. The honor first given in 1964 following the 63-64 season presented by the Sporting News. And uh, Rodney Terry is uh, the Sporting News National Coach of the Year. A couple other numbers for you with regard to Texas and talking about this whole number two seed thing. And um, when uh, uh, when Jerry Palm was on with us, I asked him the question and we had somebody text in and said, it, could Texas wind up being a number one seed if they win the Big 12 tournament? And that was kind of the question I asked. Is there a pathway to the one seed for Texas? And it would probably have to include – winning the Big 12 tournament, beating Kansas, because that would help a tremendous amount, in the tournament championship game, and then probably have some help whether Houston or Alabama or Purdue were to fall off. It would probably take something along those lines in order for Texas to rise to a one seed. I think they're probably going to be a two, uh, certainly a win tomorrow evening, and that's a 6 o'clock game against the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State winner, uh, which you'll be able to hear here on the horn uh, tomorrow evening, the winner of that, uh, if Texas wins that game, I think they're locked in as a two, no matter what they do the rest of the weekend. Uh, we're talking about a, a group that has 11 quad one wins. That's tied for the second most nationally. We heard uh, Jerry mention the uh, the 15 quad one wins by Kansas, the most in the country. And through the games of just this past Monday, UT is one of four schools to rank in the top 20 in Ken Palm, it's Ken Pomeroy, Ken Palm in both adjusted offensive and defensive assist efficiency. They rank 16th in offensive efficiency. For those of you who are wondering, don't they, when they get in their half court, they kind of stand around, they don't do this, they're playing a zone. They rank 16th in offensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm, 20th in defensive efficiency. And they're joined by Houston, Alabama, and UConn as the other teams. Uh, that are uh, in those numbers. The only teams that rank in uh, the top 20 in both offensive and defensive efficiency uh, there. Uh, somebody said, is this National Coach of the Year award like how in college baseball there were a good amount of National Player of the Year awards? There's more than one, for sure. There's an AP National Coach of the Year award. Um, and there may be a Basketball Coach Association 
uh, award, NABC uh, Coaches of the Year. But uh, anytime you're winning a National Coach of the Year award, it's 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 good. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Mudd says, Coach Terry, meet Leverage. Leverage, Coach Terry. No, I, he's he's done a fine job with that. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, and and our our man from Belton says, Craig and Harge are fun to listen to during Texas baseball games. I'm not on the complaint train anymore, like I was told last week. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Had a good time. Uh, with Mike Harge calling the uh, ball game last night, Texas won seven to five. It was a, a little bit unusual, and this is something that's coming up in my afternoon report. That as I wipe here, I'm a little drippy due to allergies today. Um, th- there's that old saying that if you go to the ballpark, you might see something you've never seen before in baseball. If you go to a baseball game, you might see something you've never seen before. Um, there was something pretty unique. I don't know that it's unheard of. It's not, in fact. But uh, for UFC Dishfalk Field, it was quite rare. There was a situation in the seventh inning. The Longhorns had gotten four runs in the bottom of the sixth to go up uh, six to four on Sam Houston. Sam Houston scores a run in the top of the seventh inning off Charlie Hurley, who had come on in the seventh after uh, LeBaron Johnson went six innings. And David Pierce told us afterwards, he said it wasn't his best outing. He elevated some pitches, but he toughed his way through it. And as a result, wound up getting the victory. Sometimes you don't get rewarded for outstanding efforts like he did a week ago with the shutout innings uh, in the the work he put in against LSU and got no decision there. But he did last night, even though he allowed uh, four runs in the ballgame and kind of toughed his way through it. Only two of the runs, by the way, were earned. There were a couple of errors by Jaden Duplantier at shortstop. So in the middle of the game, and David Pierce had told us he was probably going to sub guys in and out anyway. It wasn't necessarily a punishment thing. Mitchell Daly goes in to play shortstop. And uh, so Daly goes in and and plays short. And Jared Thomas checks in at first base. So he goes in at first um, for Cam Constantine. And immediately they make an impact. Starting in the sixth inning, they both factor in uh, uh, a couple of fielders' choice ground ball outs. One drives in a run. The other player scores a run on that. Uh, So that was important. Then in the seventh, in the top of the seventh, uh, Sam Houston gets a run across. And they still have a runner at first with one out. And it was a sharply struck ground ball. And Thomas makes... Uh, and Thomas and Daly together make a really good play. Thomas fields it, steps on the bag at first. He fires down to Mitchell Daly covering the bag at second. Well, of course, in getting the force out at first, you have to put the tag on the runner coming in. Daly did so. The umpire uh, uh, did signal him out, but then it got reviewed, and and the call was upheld. So it was a 3-6 force out. It was really important there. Then uh, in the eighth inning, Daly hits a home run. So both of those guys, uh, you know, contributed a lot. But in that uh, seventh inning, they also had, in the bottom of the seventh, when Texas was batting, they had a situation where the Longhorns had Garrett Gilmette at first base. He'd drawn a leadoff walk. There was a ground ball, then hit, and they go to second for one to start a 4-6-3 double play. Uh, Gilmette goes in the bag. They call him out. The throw to first goes wide of the bag and skips back. It looked like it rattled around around the dugout area, which would entitle the runner, who was Peyton Powell, 
to second base. So they send him down to second base. Then they stop play and they bring him back to first and say, no, you're not allowed that. Then they review it. Then they allow him to go to second base again. And then the umpires get together again and say, no, 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 you got to go back to first. So it was like this yo-yo. And, and Peyton Powell is telling the umpire, he's telling the second base umpire or the first base umpire uh, as he was going back, ordered back, well, that guy told me I could come, you know, the second base umpire. So it was kind of goofy the way it worked out. Uh, that was one of the questions Mike Harge had for David Pierce after the game. What was the interpretation you got? What was the ruling? That was the goofy part of that. In addition to the fact that he was discussing the contributions that Jared Thomas and Mitchell Daly made to the rally, turning things around. Those guys came in and were came in valuable part of the success that you had throughout the game. That play on the double play, Daly hitting a home run, and Thomas really driving the ball up the middle to put pressure on the defense. Yeah, I mean, we're still such a work in progress, and, and we're trying to grow some young players as we give a guy a mental break or a break and try to work like and try to work in our early work and spend some time on either their swing or their defense and uh, that's all the case is we're trying to give other guys opportunity and you know and then when we have opportunity to bring those guys back in them being ready to play and that's mental toughness that's dealing with maybe some adversity but I like the way both of those kids responded yeah they definitely stayed engaged but we wanted before we let you go we wanted to ask about the play and the explanation that you received the ball looked like it went into the dugout hit off the screen and came back were you challenging thinking that the runner was off the, I mean the fielder was off the bag or was it just everything that no, went on? No, no, no. I was only challenging the play at second base. Okay. The the screen is I mean partially my fault cuz I always say when it hits the back net it's just going to drop in and so it's going to be a dead ball. It's the first time in 7 years that it's actually come out. So I got to just make sure if it hits the back net that it's dead. Yeah, and if good. it would have touched the player, it would have been dead, but it literally Again, the first time I've seen it happen, it bounced, hits the uh, railing, and then back on the field. And by what we talked about at home plate, the umpires were right. Well, at least we know now because I was over there fighting for you. I was trying to figure out why he wasn't at second base. Well, we'll clarify it moving forward. (laughs) So uh, that was uh, the explanation that got after it. The ball never actually uh, caged into the dugout as well. It just got a ricochet back, but... As David Pierce pointed out, in seven years at Texas, he'd never seen the ball that strikes that area tear him back like that. So go to the ballpark. You might see something you haven't seen before. Something to keep in mind. All right. uh, Coming up, we have inconceivable. I wouldn't necessarily say that's inconceivable, but it was, you know, something different. Uh, So as somebody said, what was the deal with the ball hitting the net not being called a ground rule double? It wouldn't have been a ground rule double. It would have been a fielder's choice and an error. But not an error because of the way that is. So, uh, anyway, uh, somebody said, was Coach Terry's contract adjustment just a raise or an extension? Does he still carry the interim title? He still is listed as interim coach. That was when, when that was announced, when, uh, when they announced they were dismissing Chris Beard and that Rodney Terry was taking over, the title went from acting head coach to interim head coach, and they said at that time – that he would carry that title for the rest of the season. So that's consistent with what they've said. Now, they just happen to give him a raise during the course, but the interim tag is still there. And so he said that was a fun call last night. It was fun. I had a a good time uh, with that. All right, coming up, 
will have inconceivable. We'll get to that when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, here's what it means today on this Wednesday afternoon. Um... First of all, got a McDonald's update for uh, Cam because he's a fan like I am. Well, you know, we were talking about that. You know, they've gotten into the celebrity meal business. Uh-huh. So this latest one is Cardi B and Offset. I guess Offset is the hip-hop artist. Yeah, part of the uh, trio group of Migos. Okay, okay. Former, oh, actually left the group, so. And that's the love interest, those two, right? Mm-hmm. Cardi B and Offset. Okay. The meal itself is it, it includes Cardi B's part of the order which is a cheeseburger with barbecue sauce and a large coke okay and then it's like a side of barbecue sauce then offset has the quarter pound of cheese and a large high C orange lava burst now I'm with him on that because I like the high C orange there uh, also has a large order of fries to share and an apple pie however McDonald's franchisees are not happy with this. Uh, Bloomberg had reported that some of the franchisees are alleging that this promotion violates a set of internal rules known as the Golden Arches Code. Who knew? They're calling for McDonald's to stop selling the meal, claiming that McDonald's, which is quote-unquote family-focused, uh, partnering with an entertainer whose songs contain profanities and explicit content, quote, will hurt the brand. How explicit is his stuff? I mean, he's up there. Yeah. But they've already done one with Travis Scott and Jay yeah. Baldwin, who are the same type of artists. So I think it's too late to use this argument for the third time they've done a celebrity meal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, they've they've McDonald's has had... Uh, with BTS, who have used some language and some songs, including Cypher Part 3, Balvin, who explores sometimes controversial sexual themes in music and videos, and Rick and Monty, the adult-themed cartoon that included many instances of offensive language, all appear to violate this code. It's more than just that. So what is this Golden Arches code? Well, a copy of it was acquired by the Business Insider, the uh, global set of marketing, advertising, legal, and trademark policies has some interesting rules. One rule states that Ronald McDonald himself cannot be shown in or visiting a nightclub or a lounge. Now think about that for a moment. Hmm. If you're Ronald McDonald, are you hitting the club dressed as Ronald McDonald? Are you going? Are you going to the club? You know, looking like that. I mean, I mean, it might fit in. Yeah. I going to say, there's some people who go out clubbing, and they are dressed like clowns. <laughs> there's another rule that says Ronald McDonald may not be referred to the nickname Ronnie. Can't call him Ronnie. Do not call him Ronnie. So, uh, when reached for comment, a rep for McDonald's USA confirmed that the negative feedback is coming from a small group of franchisees and is not representative of the widespread support and excitement that it's seen among franchises across the country. So, uh, they're basically telling the franchisees who don't like it that they're going to have to uh, swallow it, so to speak. They're going to have to uh, 
deal with this. Now, this next event happened before, might even, I, 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 how long have you been with the company? About uh, 18 months. Yeah. Maybe less than that. Okay. Started in August of two years ago. August of 2021. Yes. Okay. So Sark's this first year. All right. So this predated by a few months your arrival here. But do you remember the story about Lady Gaga having her two French Bulldogs stolen? Yes. Okay. Uh, I believe we covered that on Chad and Trey, actually, on a Where We're At in Society segment. Yeah, and and we did in Inconceivable Mm -hmm. as well, because it's such an unusual story. Koji and Gustav were stolen in a robbery. Her other dog, Asia, was able to get away. Um, Lady Gaga's assistant, who was walking the dogs, was shot in the process. Uh, Her dog walker, Ryan Fisher, did survive. And then uh, Gaga immediately offered an enormous reward of $500,000, no questions asked, for the safe return of her dogs. Uh, Jennifer McBride turned the dogs in, and then the police swarmed in, and five people, including McBride herself, were arrested for the crime. Now, two years later, McBride is suing Lady Gaga for failing to pay her the $500,000. Uh... Since she pleaded no contest to being involved in the crime, Lady Gaga surely is in no hurry to pay her. That being said, a former FBI agent once warned her that something like this could happen, claiming to offer such a reward could open up a Pandora's box of sorts. So uh, she had returned the dogs to the police station. Uh, Initially, the police believed she was uninvolved and unassociated but soon after, they discovered she had a relationship with the father of one of the men arrested for the robbery. So she was arrested for an accessory to attempted murder. In December of 2022, she pleaded no contest, one count of receiving stolen property, and sentenced to two years of probation. So now she's suing Lady Gaga. She said she never received her $500,000 reward. The lawsuit states that Gaga defrauded McBride by making a promise she didn't intend to keep, reminding her that she said she'd pay the reward with no questions asked for the safer turn of the dogs. Um, Louis Shapiro, the famous L.A. lawyer, says it's doubtful she'll have to pay her anything. Uh, but she's suffering, according to her lawsuit, compensatory damages, mental anguish, loss of enjoyment of life, Pain and suffering as a result of not receiving the reward money. She's suing for attorney's fees and additional compensation along with the $500,000. So, uh, yeah, uh, the, the lawyer Shapiro said this is an unusual reward amount. We don't really know if this $500,000 reward is, in fact, a no questions asked to offer. There's no contract made here. It could just be a ruse to lure whoever did this in. Mm-hmm. So, and then you're... You're wanting to claim the reward, and yet you pleaded no contest to receiving stolen property and got probation for that. What's so could Lady Gaga be accused of slander? I'm guessing is that what they're going after? Is slander? No, just not following through on the promise. You know, reneging on the promise to do it. But I bet you Gaga's point will be she pleaded no contest to receiving them stolen. She had a relationship with a father, one of the ones arrested for stealing. Whole thing's backwards, Craig. Yeah. 
That's why it's inconceivable. We have hour number two of Life the Tower coming up on the Horn.